Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 6. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Psalm uh, chapter 6. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you will find this psalm on page 449. Three Sundays ago, before I went out of town for General Assembly and then for a vacation, we, we looked at Psalm 5. And in Psalm 5, we heard David crying out to God from the midst of his anguish. And in that psalm, he was crying out to God for justice. David was being unjustly persecuted by unrighteous men. And he wanted God not only to protect him from their assaults, but to make them bear their guilt. Here in this psalm this morning, we again hear David crying out, To God, he is going to say that he is languishing, that his soul is greatly troubled, that he floods his bed with tears every night. He is crying out to God from the midst of his great distress for relief he knows only God can provide. But this time, the cause of his distress is different. This time, David's distress is not the result of unjust persecution. Rather, this time, his distress is the result of his own sins. This time, David is crying out to God not for justice, but for mercy. How do you pray? How do we pray? How do we approach God when our sins are the source of the trouble? That is the question that this psalm answers. Let us read it together. Psalm 6. This is the very word of God. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you Praise. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the preaching here this morning. Father God, this is your word, living and active. By it we have been born again to an imperishable hope 
And by it we will be nourished to grow up in our salvation. Father God, we pray that you would attend to the preaching of your word here this morning. And that you would cause it to bear much fruit in our lives and through us in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified, we now have peace. The peace that Paul is talking about is an objective peace. He he does not mean that we have a, a subjective feeling of peace. But rather, he is speaking of an actual, objective peace. Previously, we were God's enemies. Previously, we were at enmity with him. Previously, we were under his wrath. But now, having been justified by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. He has reconciled us to himself. The record of debts that that stood against us has been canceled. It has been nailed to the cross. Our guilt has been removed from us as far as east from west. His wrath, which was justly against us, has been completely satisfied, poured out in full upon another. So that Paul can write in Romans chapter 8, There is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the very heart of the gospel. This is is the heart of the gospel message. In Christ, we have received not merely a, a peaceful, easy feeling, but rather we have received an objective, blood bought peace. This is what the gospel proclaims. But because the gospel focuses on this objective peace, that does not mean that it has nothing to say about peaceful, easy feelings. In fact, in Romans 5, Paul goes on to say that that because of the peace that we now have with God, we experience peace in this life. He he says, because we have peace with God, we now have peace about the, the future. Having been justified by faith, having been reconciled with God, we now have a sure assurance of God's love for us and of the salvation that will be ours in the age to come. The peace which which Paul says has been poured into our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a a peace that, that is ours because of the objective peace that has been bought for us by Christ. He says something similar in Philippians chapter 4. You're, you're familiar with the verse. It's a, it's a verse we, we memorize. It's a verse we, we plant deeply in our hearts. He tells us that if we will bring our cares and concerns to God in prayer, then a peace that surpasses understanding will be ours. A peace that is beyond understanding. Not a, not a peace that is derived from the, from the reality of our circumstances. In fact, it's often contrary to the reality of our circumstances. But a peace that surpasses understanding will be ours. Why? Because we know that the Lord is for us in Christ. This is the peace that is ours because of the peace that has been bought for us. 
Our confession of faith calls this subjective peace, this this sense of peace, an assurance of grace and salvation. And it tells us that, that this assurance can be ours, that those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they may know certainly, they may be certainly assured that they are in a state of grace. We may know that God is for us. We may know that we have been reconciled to Him. We may know that He is now working all things together for our good. We may know these things, not not based upon our own record, but upon His promises. And knowing that God is for us gives us peace in the midst of trials. What we just sang, all must be well. Why? Because God is for us. Not because we don't have enemies, not because we don't deserve things to go wrong, but because our Heavenly Father, who loved us in Christ, who bought us with the precious blood of our Savior, because He has promised that He will work all things together for our good. This is our peace. And according to Nehemiah, this peace is our strength. Nehemiah tells the the returning exiles that the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, knowing the joy of your salvation, knowing that the joy that, that God is for you, strengthens you to walk in humble obedience to your king. It humble it strengthens you to, to humbly serve him, even when obedience calls you to pass through raging waters and burning flames. In the midst of trials and in the the midst of tribulations, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Our subjective peace, grounded in the objective peace that is ours through Christ's death and resurrection. Our, Our sense of peace, it will strengthen us to live a life of obedient service and faithful endurance. This is why our confession says not only that we may have this assurance, but that we ought to seek it. We ought to diligently seek it. We ought to work by all the means provided to make our election and calling sure that our hearts might be filled with this joy and peace. If you you do not know this peace, if you do not know this joy, you are commanded by Scripture to seek it. You are to cultivate it. You are to go after it. You are to to seek to obtain it because this joy is your strength. It is what will sustain you throughout the Christian life, knowing the truth of the gospel, knowing the hope that is yours in him, is what equips you not to lose heart, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, but to rather stand firm upon the knowledge that there is being prepared for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparing with whatever slight and momentary afflictions you are asked to pass through in this life. But of course, the fact that our confession commands us to seek after and to pursue this peace suggests to us that, that maybe this peace isn't so easily found. And certainly this peace isn't so easily maintained. True 
Believers may have a a sense of of God's grace and of, of their salvation, but at the same time, our confession says, true believers may have the assurance of their salvation shaken, diminished, intermitted, in all manner of ways. I suspect you know what I'm talking about. I I suspect you've had this experience. I suspect like David, you know what it is to lose the joy of your salvation. You know what it is to have those moments where you wonder, where is God? Is is he truly for me? With the psalmist here in verse 3, you say, oh Lord, how long? Where are you? Why do I feel so distant? I suspect you've had that experience. I know I have had that experience. It's not that we lose our objective peace. By by God's great mercy, our justification is once and for all time. It is based upon the finished work of Christ. It It is not up for debate. It is finished. It is perfect. We are justified. And having been justified, we now have peace with God once and for all time. But... But we cannot lose our objective peace. We can and do lose our sense of peace. We cannot lose our salvation. We, we can and do lose the joy that it ought to afford us. And this can happen for, for any number of reasons, but, but I think the most common, or one of the most common, is our own sin. Our own sin cuts us off from the joy of our salvation. There have been times when I have sinned against Sarah. There have been times when I have hurt her deeply. And in those moments, we are still married. We are are still husband and wife, but the joy of the relationship has been temporarily lost. There's a a feeling of separation. There's a feeling of distance because of sin. And the same thing happens in our relationship with God. There, There are times when we sin and grieve the Holy Spirit. And when we do, our our joy is shaken. We we lose our our peace. The joy of of closeness is replaced by a grief of of distance. The the warmth of delight is is replaced by the coolness of displeasure. We we lose our sense of peace. We lose the, the joy that ought to be ours because of our salvation. When we, we sin and when we remain in sin for a season, we come into this place where we wonder where God is because we feel distant from Him. And it seems to me that this is the condition that David finds himself in as he writes this psalm. You see, David is there as he composes Psalm 6. Because of his sin, he has lost the joy of his salvation. Look at it again. Look how he describes himself. He says, I am languishing. My bones are troubled. My, my soul is greatly troubled. I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I, I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of, of grief. It is a profound, if, if somewhat pitiful, description of his utter and complete 
despair. He is desperate. He is separated from from God. He has lost the joy of his salvation. But why do I say that his condition is the result of his sin? Well, we'll look at it again. It's not explicitly stated, but it's certainly implied. In verse 1, David writes, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Think for a moment about what that implies. David is not accusing God of unjust anger. He's he's not accusing God of of unjustly pouring out his wrath. He's not even considering the possibility. As we saw in our study of Psalm 5, David knows that, that God's wrath is kindled by wickedness and by evil. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. No, God's God's wrath is not capricious. God's God's wrath is not random. It is not arbitrary. God's wrath is against evil. It is against sin. Therefore, if God's wrath is directed against David, then it can only be because of David's sin. So David is not accusing God of injustice. Rather, he is crying out to him for mercy. He is coming before the Lord and he is asking not to be treated as his sins deserve. Do not rebuke me in your just and righteous anger. He repeats the same plea in verse 2. He says, be gracious to me, heal me. The language of of grace suggests some sort of of gift, an undeserved favor or, or blessing. And throughout Scripture, the idea of grace, the idea of gift, often includes the idea of exchange. It's not only that you receive something that you don't deserve, but rather it's that you receive this blessing in place of the deserved curse. The deserved curse is withheld and blessing is poured out. By by grace, you receive good instead of bad. By, By grace, you deserve blessing instead of judgment. And that's what David is is asking for. David is languishing because of his sin. His soul is in trouble because of his sin. He floods his bed with tears because of his sin. And he longs for God to heal him. He longs for God to restore to him the joy of his salvation. Not because he is innocent or deserving. He knows that he's not. Rather, notice, he he cries out to God only upon the basis of his steadfast love. We we see it in verse 4. Turn to me, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me. Why? Not because because I've, I've served you so faithfully in the past, but rather turn to me. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Save me because you in your infinite, mysterious wisdom have chosen to love me. Save me, not because I am worthy, but because you are gracious. This is David's plea. This is what David is asking for. He is asking for God to restore him to that which he was created for. He was was created to, to worship God, and he knows that in his present condition, he cannot do that. And so he's asking God, restore me. Rescue me from the consequences of my sin, that I might glorify and serve you as I have been called. Because right now, in my present condition, I feel like I am cut off even from worship. You ever been there? 
If you've ever been there, Jeff prayed even this morning. He said, there are some who have gathered here this morning who feel like worship is just beyond them. They do not know how they're going to proclaim the goodness of God because they are in utter turmoil. And some of them, not all, but some are in turmoil because of their sin. They are languishing because of their their sin. They are in the depths of despair because of their, their sin. And the question before us is this, how do you pray when you feel sapped of all strength because of your prayer? How do you come into God's presence when you feel weighed down by the burden of, of your own guilt. That's what I want us to see this morning. I want us to see how David prays so that we might emulate him and that by emulating him we might find our way back to joy. So let's just briefly look at how David prays here in the psalm. And there are three things in particular that I want you to see. The first thing is somewhat obvious. I, I want you to see that David prays. <laughs> He brings his distress to God. That's somewhat obvious by the nature of the case. This is actually a, a psalm. It is a prayer addressed to God. But it's important that we see this because we are so often tempted to do just the opposite. When we aren't feeling it, we're tempted to go into our hole and hide. We're tempted to think, well, when I, when I can get my act together, when I can restore my feelings, then I will come into the presence of God and and worship. Then I will bring my prayers be before him. But we must resist that temptation, for he is the only one who can heal us. He is the only one who can restore us. And so do not fall into that temptation that says, I will come to worship when I feel like it. I will, I will pray when I am moved. If you're waiting until you are moved, you may never pray. Especially when you don't feel it. Especially when you, you don't sense that, that God is with you. Especially when you feel distant. Especially in those moments you must come into his presence with your prayers. We must bring our distress to God. And secondly, notice what David does. We must come to God asking only for grace. We must come to God appealing only to his steadfast love. David does not come appealing to his past merit. He doesn't say, God, I've, I've served you so faithfully. Remember that whole Goliath thing? You know, you give me a, you give me a, a break here. I need some help. I've, I'm, I've been faithful. We sometimes are tempted to do that with God. We are, we are sometimes tempted to think, well, God, I've, I've served you for so long. I've served you so, so faithfully. You owe me. And we come bargaining with God. Or, or worse, we come to God offering Him obedience in the future. If you will do this for me, then, then, then I will do this. I will be more faithful. I'll, I'll read my Bible every day for a month or a year. Or I'll, I'll witness to three people next month. Or, or whatever it is that you want to fill in the blank. We, we promise God some service. Like, like Luther, we, we promise to become a monk. Whatever it is that you want to do, we, we come to God saying, God, if you will just help me, I will offer you this. But of course, we, we can make no such offers. And even if we could, remember what Jesus taught us in the Gospel of Luke. He said, even if we could do everything, we would still be but unprofitable servants. We could never place God in our debt. We cannot come to him appealing to our own merit. We cannot come to him promising good works. We can come to him only 
standing upon his promise. We can come appealing only to his steadfast love. We can come asking only for mercy. And so we must bring our distress to God. We must be as come acknowledging where we are. God, I am distant. I am cold. My heart is entangled with the love of all sorts of other things. I need you to rescue me. I need you to, to save me. And I'm not even sure I want you to yet, but God, I need you to do it. I need you to pull me out of this pit. I need to, you to rescue me from, from this distress. I need you to incline my heart towards you. I need you to spoil the taste of sin and teach me again to delight in the sweetness of your law. Lord, I need you to rescue me. Not because I am worthy, but because you are good and you have promised to do it for the sake of your steadfast love. So we bring our distress to God. We appeal to his his grace. And finally, notice, we stand Upon his promises. David expresses an absolute faith in the promises of God. Notice it in verse 8. He says, he he speaks suddenly to the workers of evil, the foes that he mentioned at the end of of verse 7. Remember, these foes are not the ones who are causing his trouble. His, His trouble is the result of his own sin. But these foes are the ones who are rubbing salt in his wounds, saying as they did in Psalm 3, There is no salvation for you in God. You're beyond hope. You you've you've messed it up too far. There's no hope for you anymore. And David says to these foes, the ones who are rubbing salt in his wounds, he says, depart from me, you will be ashamed. And in biblical language, that means your words will be proven false. You will be proven to be liars. And how does David know this? How how does David know that their words will be proven false? Because look what he says. He says, the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. But how does David know that? How does David know that he has heard? It's it's unlikely that anything has happened between verse 7 and verse 8. You know, it's unlikely that this psalm was composed in in two parts. It's not that he's, he's received some great deliverance. What is David doing? He is choosing to walk by faith and not by sight. He is choosing to preach the gospel to himself. He he is choosing to recount the promises that that he knows are true, even when he doesn't feel it. By faith, he knows that the Lord has heard his plea. By faith, he he knows that that God accepts his prayer. By faith, he knows that God will act to deliver him out of this distress and, and to work all things together for his good. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we must pray with the same faith, even when we don't feel it. See, we cannot allow our feelings, we cannot allow our sense of God's presence to determine whether or not we think God is with us. We cannot allow our feelings to determine what we believe is true. Rather, we must preach the truth to our feelings until they get in line. It's not that we're against feelings, maybe sometimes we are, but we shouldn't be. We're not against feelings. Jonathan Edwards once said that our, that our religious affections ought to be raised to the, the maximum level appropriate to the truth that we are celebrating. And these are truths worth celebrating. We ought to be emotional. We ought to, we ought to feel deeply the wonder of the gospel. But we ought not to let what we feel determine what we think those truths are. Rather, we preach the truths to our feelings until they get in line. This is what David is doing. 
He is praying what he knows to be truth even before he feels it. He's saying, I know that the Lord hears my prayer. I know that the Lord is with me. I know that he accepts me. And therefore, I know that you will be put to shame, those who say, I have no hope. He stands upon the promises of God. He walks by faith and not by sight. And we must do the same. And so let me ask you, do you pray this way? Do you pray with this faith? Do you you bring your despair to God? Do you come asking merely for His steadfast love? And do you plead based solely upon His promises? You must. You must because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The author of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. And in the same way, for the joy set before you, you will walk in faithful obedience to your King. For the joy set before you, you will run the race marked out for you even when it brings you through floods and fires. But what kind of joy could sustain you through such a path. Only a joy, grounded not in your own faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of Him who called you. You must pray this way, because you are a sinner, and you will never deserve the blessing of God. You will never do enough. You will never earn it. You will never establish your own righteousness. Yes, by His grace we make progress in this life. Yes, by His grace we we bring forth uh, true good works. Don't hear me denying that. But you will never place God in your debt. He will never owe you. And if you are going to believe that He is for you, it cannot be because you have served Him so well. It can only be because He loves you so deeply. Because He has chosen to love you so deeply. Because He has chosen to love you so deeply. That is where David stands. And that is where we must stand. And we must stand there when we pray. Pleading to God. Because of His steadfast love. A love that we see poured out here at this table. Why does God command us to come to this table again and again and again? Why is this this not a one-time event in the life of a Christian? He calls us to this table again and again. He calls us to, to celebrate the body broken and the blood poured out because he knows we need to be regularly reminded. We need to regularly feast upon the body and the blood. We need to be regularly have that grace poured into our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we may may be able to stand upon this firm foundation day after day after day, not losing heart, even though our outer nature wastes away. Because we know the immeasurable worth of the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparing with whatever slight and momentary tribulations he asks us to go through in this life, even when those tribulations are brought upon our head by our own sin. That is the heart of the gospel. A peace grounded in the peace that is ours because of the peacemaker, the faithful one, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the gospel. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we do Thank you for this gospel. 
And we thank you for this chance now to come to this table. And we ask that you, by your Spirit, would pour your love and peace and joy. That you would spread it abroad in our hearts. That we might be strengthened to stand firm and to run with endurance the race that you have marked out for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.